no handbook for your child's health, but we do have a podcast featuring world-class clinical and research physicians covering everything from your child's allergies to zinc levels. This is Kids HealthCast by Wild Cornell Medicine, and our topic today is feeding our little kiddos from birth through toddlerhood. My guest is Dr. Chloe Rao. She's an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Wild Cornell Medicine and an assistant attending pediatrician at New York Presbyterian Wild Cornell Medical Center. Dr. Rao, I love this topic. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join us today. Let's just talk about complementary foods that can be started with our infant and what foods are best to start with. When do we do this and what do we start with? Sure. Well, I'm happy to be here today. Um, I usually recommend starting infants on complementary foods between the ages of four and six months. So there's a little leeway in that age range, and I often talk it over with parents in terms of is your baby ready and are you ready? So in terms of the baby's readiness, we like to see that the infant can sit up, has good head and trunk control, and would be able to sit in the high chair to accept the spoon feedings. I often ask them to watch for the infant signs of readiness and interest in solid foods. You know, are they looking at you while you're eating? Are they reaching for your spoon or your food? Are they opening their mouth when they see you eating? So often one of the first things I'll do at the four-month visit is ask the parents to first get a high chair, set it up, practice having the infant sit in the high chair. Do they look comfortable? Can they hold their head and trunk up for a short period of time? bring the child to the table with them, let the child watch them eat, um, let them be a part of that family meal just to assess the infant's level of interest in foods. Wow, that was a great explanation. So usable. So then once we've assessed their readiness and our own, of course, because time goes so fast, what about first foods? Do we try avocado mixed with a little breast milk or formula? Do we smash up a banana or a pear? What do you think are some great first foods? Sure. Well, traditionally, we start with our infant um, cereals, which are fortified with iron. The reason being, iron is a very important nutrient for babies, especially for their neurologic development. So iron is an important first food to introduce, or an iron-rich food is important to introduce. Typical way we give an iron-rich food is through those infant cereals. We recommend oatmeal cereal um, more so than the old-fashioned rice cereal because of some of the concerns about arsenic in rice cereal. So recently, the AAP has also been concerned about that, so recommend other cereals other than the rice to start with. So we can start something like avocado or banana. I typically recommend the first food be something smooth and pureed, kind of a little soupier at first because the infant has only been exposed to milk, so they're used to that texture. Once they get the sense of the spoon feedings and try those tastes for a little while, then we can start to make it a little thicker and change the consistency of it. But you can start with banana pureed, avocado pureed, but you do want to keep in mind having some source of iron in your infant's diet. Iron is especially important for breastfed babies, less so important for formula-fed babies due to the fact that the formula does contain iron. So as long as we're on the subject of breast milk and formula, when can a baby start drinking milk besides breast milk or whole milk or soy milk or almond milk or any of these other milks that are out there? So we recommend breast milk or formula through the first year of life. So once the child is hitting their first birthday, we can transition on to, you know, typically whole cow's milk. 
prior to one year, it is okay to introduce cow's milk products such as yogurts and cheeses and cottage cheese, but we don't recommend whole cow's milk until one year. Dr. Rao, this is such great information. How long do we wait between introducing new foods to a child as we're feeding them foods for the first time? Traditionally, we've recommended introducing one new food every three to five days. Probably, practically speaking, that's not necessary. You know, if you introduced chicken today and carrots tomorrow and sweet potatoes the next day, it would be fine. Most of the time, we're going to get better results by giving our children a variety of foods and flavors and just reintroducing those or exposing the children to those foods repeatedly to develop their tastes and their palate. I would more cautiously introduce highly allergic foods, so something like peanut or egg or fish. I would probably still recommend that if we're going to do that food, that be the only food we give the child for a couple of days in a row. We do that in the morning at home versus at a restaurant or at daycare and observe the child um, for any adverse reaction after one of those highly allergic foods. That's great advice. So now, fruit juice, as we're starting to think about giving them other things to drink, the AAP recently put out new guidelines for healthy drinks. Should children even have fruit juice? What about smoothies with vegetables and fruits as they get to be toddlers and two and three years old? Can we give them those things? So I would say fruit juice is not necessary for a healthy diet, and we generally do not recommend that for infants or children. The reason being is fruit juice is mostly sugar. So I tell parents it's squeezing out the sugary part of the fruit and giving that to the child and leaving out all the other good fiber and nutrients that comes with eating the whole fruit. So probably better to offer your child whole fruits or pureed, chopped up, you know, finger food type fruits versus giving them fruit juices. Um, We've seen over time that fruit juices can lead to obesity, um, you know, with the high sugar content and can also lead to cavities and tooth decay. So typically we do not recommend fruit juices for children. Um, And I typically in my practice reserve giving some prune juice or pear juice maybe in the case where a child might be constipated. Now every parent's biggest fear when they're feeding their children is choking. I mean, as a mother, I sat there watching my kids so closely. What foods are considered choking hazards for our little ones? What would you like us to avoid or ways that we can arrange the food, prepare the food so that it's not so dangerous? Right. So I think choking hazards are a very important topic. Um, Foods that are most commonly choked on in children would be things that are firm and hard and round. Um, A whole grape would be dangerous, a whole nut, a piece of popcorn, a hot dog, a piece of raw carrot, a piece of um, firm apple, firm cheese. So when children are infants and starting those finger foods about eight, nine months, we usually recommend that everything is soft and squishy, kind of bite size, about half inch or the size of your pinky nail. Um, And I describe for parents, it's just something you can squish between your thumb and your first finger. So like a soft piece of banana is usually safe. A steamed or well-cooked carrot, you know, a cooked pea, a piece of ripe pear, a piece of ripe avocado, little bits of meat or fish would all be safe. Um, But we wouldn't want to give some of those firmer, rounder, larger pieces of food. Even through the toddler years, those can be dangerous foods for choking risk. 
And now on to our toddlers for a brief moment and picky eaters. What if we're trying steamed carrots or we're trying these things and kids are pushing them away or making a face? What do we do if they're picky eaters from little guyhood and we want them to foster a love of healthy foods and a variety of foods? What do we do? Um, so that's a, a good question, and it's always a very frustrating uh, situation for a lot of parents when they're dealing with a picky eater. Um, a couple of things that I like to remind people of is one is just the repeated exposure. So I try carrots and my child doesn't like it. It doesn't mean I never offer it to them again. You have to try it over and over and over, um, upwards of 10, 15, 20 times before a child might accept a new food. So continue to offer those foods to the child. Try them in different ways, in different formats. You can try raw broccoli. You can try roasted broccoli. You can try broccoli with a dip or something to make it different or fun or exciting. So repeated exposures are very, very important. Um, Another tip I give parents is just modeling good eating behaviors. So if your child sees you eating carrots or broccoli, over time, they're going to want to imitate you. We see that with a lot of children and other behaviors of the parents, but same goes for foods. So you have to show them that you eat healthy foods. You have to model good eating behaviors. You have to eat with the child so they see you eating the healthy foods and the good variety. And you have to kind of play it up. Take a bite. Make good facial expressions. Show, say, mm, this is delicious. I love broccoli. And be very positive about the healthy foods. And I think over time with some patience and persistence, then children do accept some of these healthy foods and new foods. I couldn't agree more with you about that. So as we wrap up, how important is eating together, you just mentioned it, to foster that love of a variety of foods and healthy eating and good parent role modeling when it comes to healthy food and a love of all different kinds of food? I think it is important. You know, um, we do in pediatrics and with the AAP support family meals. Um, not only is it important for nutrition, I think it's also important to stay connected to your children, especially as they mature and grow older. But, you know, from the infant-toddler perspective, as we were talking about, we're eating together. We're seeing our parents eat healthy foods and a variety of foods. We're not staring at the child and force-feeding them with a spoon while we're sitting there doing something else. You know, we're all eating. It's enjoyable. We're talking. We're interacting. We're stimulating the child both with foods, but also with that social aspect of a meal. Um, And then as we get older, as we said, it's a time to bring the family together, to talk to the child about their day, understand what's going on in their lives, socially, academically, and just stay connected as a family as the children mature. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave parents with when it comes to feeding our children? Um, I think it's a great topic. I love to counsel families on nutrition, um, and I think it's an important topic for a lot of families. It brings a lot of joy as well as a lot of stress. Um, I've learned a little quote that I often share with families um, in terms of toddler, which is often the most challenging time for eating, is that, you know, toddlers often eat one meal play with one meal and totally refuse the third meal. And that's pretty typical for toddlers and try to encourage parents not to get too frustrated, but to keep a positive attitude around feeding and nutrition and hopefully over time to teach our children healthy habits.
So well said. Thank you so much, Dr. Rao, for joining us. What a great segment. So much usable information for parents. And thank you to our listeners. This concludes today's episode of Kids HealthCast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Wild Cornell Medicine podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Melanie Cole. If you or a loved one is undergoing cancer treatment, rehabilitation medicine can help with recovery and ease painful side effects. Listen to Back to Health, Wild Cornell Medicine's podcast series dedicated to rehabilitation medicine to learn more about the ways psychiatrists can help. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Wild Cornell Medicine as an institution.